0: This is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. And welcome to another edition of the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. I'm John McGowan, your host. Continuing my search for more information on the application of power, to an indoor cycling class. I got in contact with the people at Kaiser, and with me today is Suzette O'Byrne. Suzette is a master trainer for the Kaiser program. She's an author, and just as I nice was beginning to talk to her, I think she's someone you're going to enjoy. Suzette O'Burn, welcome to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Thank you, John. Where do I find you today?
1: I'm in Calgary, Alberta, in Canada.
0: And I'm guessing it's just as cold there as it is here in Minneapolis. It is. I'm not looking forward to going outside today. We're recording this on Friday, November 21st. Winter is coming. Or actually, it's here. It's quite cold here in Minneapolis as well. And that's actually a good thing for me because that drives all my cycling friends into the indoor cycling room and gives me a little fuller class. Do you ever have any issues as far as filling your classes?
1: Same thing. You know, when the weather's bad, we're we're nice and full in the summer we still get very good numbers. We get a lot of people, you know, choosing to ride outside as well, so.
0: I've asked you on because I was very eager to learn what Kaiser's offering from both a training perspective and in a bike perspective as to training with power. I should tell you this quick story. Last weekend I was at the Heart Zones USA conference in Denver and I was participating in their indoor cycling programs just to get a feel for it so that I could communicate back to my listeners, You know, is that a program that uh, you would be interested in taking? The on-bike training we did at the University of Colorado's very beautiful fitness facility. The room they had, there was, I think, 25 bikes, 24 of which were just a conventional indoor cycling bike, but there was one very specific bike that everyone seemed to fight over and that was one of your Kaiser M3s. Mm. Actually, we even had a premiere of a new indoor cycling video series. And the instructor who taught, it's also his video, he insisted on using your bike to, to train. <laughs> so, so, and uh, the, my frustration in the whole thing was that it was the one bike in the room that did not have those convertible red pedals that would allow me to use my shoes with my look cleats. Tell me what's unique about that bike contrasted with a typical indoor cycling bike?
1: Well, probably the the greatest change that has happened to that bike is that it is not a friction-based system. What we have done is choosing to use magnetic resistance, creating an eddy current to provide the resistance to the bike versus a, a belt or a brake or anything like that. So it's a very different ride and also it's a completely different experience because of the magnetic system. So the M stands for magnetic. The three is our third bike. So the bike itself is an evolution over our bikes of the past, uh, recognizing some of the issues that were coming up with our previous bikes and how do we get rid of those. So with that magnetic resistance, what happens is there's no wearing parts. Those There's no breakdown over time. You get consistency with your ride, and you also can get a very specific gear and specific power for specific reading on the computer that comes with the
0: bike. When I look at indoor cycling as it is today, the difficulty that I see that you're solving is that Adding more speed to the flywheel makes it easier and easier to pedal. Understanding how power is a combination of force and speed, pedaling faster doesn't create more power on a conventional bike. But on yours, it's different. And the minute you get on it, you recognize that the faster you pedal, the difficulty continues to increase with the speed.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. What happens is people will always want to, think more is better and so they think that if I go faster I'm working harder but on this bike you can see it because the power is right there in front of you telling you're not getting as much power at those higher speeds so it forces the student to come down and bring their speeds under control and take the resistance up to get more of that sense of output.
0: Talking about how you structure classes around the, the reading of power that you get on your bike.
1: Well, one of the big things that I do is and we recommend this with our training programs is to regularly measure the power, so not just measuring it in the class, but also measuring it month by month by month. And so as a, as a result you can see people progressing. You can also identify what is your active recovery range. So rather than just bringing it down to gear 2, you can bring it down to to say 60 watts so that You can play with what speed you're working at or what gear you're working at, but understanding that you're trying to get it down to an active recovery watt or active recovery output. So we'll do things like that. We'll also do drills in the class that are very related to power. So for example, if I was doing hills, I would get my students to repeat the same output on that hill over and over again. So it's like you're doing a lap rather than feeling yourself going into the hill every time you go into that hill you're going to be more fatigued so it's going to be harder and harder to maintain that power as you repeat that hill if you've got that power reading in front of you
0: is that i've gotten to the point now in my classes where i literally don't allow them to turn load down at all to address what i see the as a problem how do you describe bring it up to what bring it down to what Mm -hmm. And then how do you return back to where you were originally? And by looking at the wattage reading on your bike, you can be very specific. How do you determine what that initial higher range is?
1: The computer itself takes averages. So what we can do is I can have my students... Do a time trial, for example, for two or five minutes and see what their average power is that they can maximize out at over that period of time. And then we can use that even later on in the class or next week to say, I want you to, to maintain that power that you set for yourself at two minutes. From there, I can also get them to do a 15-second power test where they go as hard as they can for 15 seconds and we can take 50% of that power and I want you to be able to try and maintain that for say 10 minutes or 5 minutes. So it's interesting over time, you know, the bike's been out for two years now and how we're starting to use power more and more because it's becoming more familiar to the instructors. So the instructors are getting used to being able to uh, make very quick calculations with their students to identify Mm, you can do a little bit more than that. So if I have somebody who says they can cycle at, let's say, 200 watts for 15 seconds, and that's their maximum that they can do, well, then when they say what what can they maintain for a period of time, I would expect it would definitely be higher than, you know, sometimes they want to cycle at 60, and I'm thinking, no, you can cycle at more than that. So I'll try and get them to play with those numbers and, and they can have a better understanding of how a maximum power can also reflect what their average power is over time. So those are some of the, the ways you can use your power output reading and then um, learn to identify what are you actually capable of, which improves people's self-efficacy. They don't understand how hard they can actually work, and this is one of the number one tools that I've found that I can get them to uh, to actually understand what are they capable of without getting into the category where they start to get sicker and have a negative experience. They start to feel that positive experience without realizing that they're getting beyond their limit.
0: So it literally becomes something that's coachable and easily communicated to the class.
1: People in my classes You know, I have a registered class that I work with over a period of time, and so we use those power output and, well, and all the gears and all of your information quite regularly when you've got a registered class because I'll actually write it all out for them which level they should be working at. But even in a a drop-in class, my students get a better sense of where they're at, and they find that they're working, obviously, harder It's not like the bike is harder or I'm teaching a harder class, but they get it. And now they're able to identify how hard they should be working in the class, and they do. They work significantly harder now than they did before we had the bikes.
0: And I just wish I had them, actually.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, we're getting that a lot, which is great. You know, we'll be at the major trade shows and conferences and people are like, oh, I have to go back and talk to my fitness director. We have to get these bikes because when people experience it, they start to think about what they can do on this bike versus what a bike can't do. The limits get removed when you start to think about it
0: that way. My wife and I both teach for Lifetime Fitness here in Minneapolis. We evaluated a couple of your bikes here, I think it was last winter, but it's a steep investment to start replacing. When our clubs, the typical room has 40 bikes in it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any clubs that maybe are starting to integrate them so that, you know, there may be a mix of different bicycles within a room?
1: I know that that happens. I don't know how many are and how many are are not because I'm not in the sales department, unfortunately. The hard thing with mixing bikes is that you get the problem that you indicated when you went to that training is people get favorites. You know, everybody wants the the one that that they really enjoy. And so it does create some issues sometimes with people wanting all the same bike. The same is with these bikes, you get consistency and you get, when you come back, you're not going to get one bike that's harder or one bike that's easier. So, you know, you get bike, people bike. um, (laughs) Can you I can. That would be my cat.
0: Well, that's your cat. I thought that was your son.
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) No, that would be my cat. (laughs) What happens with the consistency of the bikes is you don't get people wanting bike 11, right? Or bike 12 because they know that the resistance is going to be what they're looking for on a bike that uh, works with a a felt pad or or the resistance is based on a a brake or it changes over time. So people tend to look for that bike that they know they're going to get that workout out of. With these bikes, they're all the same. So it's, it's nice that you don't have to look for a certain bike when you're coming to class because you're going to get consistency between bikes as well.
0: Another question as to how you structure training, what component is heart rate involved?
1: We use heart rate more as a option so some facilities because you do need a heart rate monitor to be able to measure heart rate on our bike some facilities have heart rate monitors for our participants but most do not so that option is there for you if you have the ability to use it we use power much more than we use heart rate because of that
0: it was interesting i heard a presentation by a an olympic athlete level coach his training is almost all power-based. Heart rate is almost secondary, which is convenient if you have a bike that measures power. Mm-hmm. The, the presentation was such that it was just a much better indication. You know The example that he gave, and just so you have some understanding, I teach an endurance series all winter long. To do a long time trial or a long endurance ride, Based on heart rate, your power output drops due to cardiac drift, those type of things. And that if you have a power indication, you find out that maintaining any set level of power over time becomes difficult. And it's more apt to create a training effect that will move you forward from a performance perspective.
1: The other thing with that is, is there's some, if, if you're dehydrated, then you're heart rate might drop but your power will stay consistent so some other factors may affect your heart rate that won't affect your power output so there's different things to think about as well when the relationship between heart rate and power
0: you talked about a registered class versus a dropping class describe those the difference between those
1: well a registered class is great to teach because you've got students that are going to that have signed up they're going to be there every in my case they're there every saturday and i know i can work with them over time so we'll do progressive drills and drills that are reflective of what they did the week before for example the first week of this session that i'm in they did typical things like bike setup and how to ride just some basic riding and how the computer works how the bike works and a very simple base class then the next week, they started to look at their own power output and to understand power. So they did an average of power over five minutes, an average of power over one minute, and an average of power over 15 seconds. And we repeated those drills throughout the class to get people a, an understanding of what they're capable of at this point in time. Now, the next class they're going to do, they're going to do a 20-minute power test. And then from there, I can actually calculate their different levels of active recovery, tempo training, endurance training, what power they should be at when they're working in those zones. So it's like creating heart rate zones or workout zones based on their power output at that point in time. And then we're going to do that again at the end of the session and be able to see how far they've progressed. So it's, it's exciting to see people progress with all those numbers because all of them increase. Their 15-second output increases, their 20-minute output imp- increases, and it's, and it's very empowering for themselves to see how far they progress. Now with my drop-in classes, I get a different group of people each week, and, uh, you know, based on many factors so they know that the last Friday of the month is going to be a power test. They prepare for that. But it's not the same because I'm going to get a new participant that last Friday, the same as I might get the week before. So I have to be a bit more flexible with the drop-in classes than I am with the registered classes. You can do a lot more with registered classes.
0: And I can see that just as you're describing it, that because you're always teaching to the The newest member when a drop in class, and you tend to be limited and you can't be progressive. Just so I understand, where you teach, is it kind of a membership based or is it a fee for every time you come in and ride?
1: Either. Some people have a membership and some people pay a drop in to
0: come in. I love talking to people like you because as you're talking, my wheels are spinning, thinking, okay, now how do I? How do I develop that into a program And because I recognize the value of it, that we can lead people through a specific training program? The previous podcast I did with Alinda, uh, who teaches out in uh, a group out in West Virginia, she puts together a group that trains for a century. They start in October, November, and then in April – they uh, all go out and ride a century together and the majority of their training is all indoors and she has this nice core group that she can lead through and I see that as incredibly valuable. At the same time it applies a lot of accountability to the instructor that you're prepared and that you have a plan. The dropping class tends to allow her just kind of a free expression without <laughs> without direction.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> well let's talk a little bit about Kaiser's specific training starting with I'm a participant, I'm an enthusiast, and I want to become an instructor.
1: Well, we have two different methods for doing training. One of them we're just launching. The first training that we've been doing for years is our foundations training. What we would start someone out with is a six-hour course covering everything from bike setup to teaching techniques to drills to communication, music, interacting with your students. So, with that course, you would, at the end of it, have all the tools you need to be able to teach an indoor cycling class. Kaiser training programs also have continuing education as well. And those are two to four hour modules that allow you to move from the foundations program into a more in-depth instructor program. So we have a two-hour workshop just on power or a two-hour workshop just on the computer, just on doing one-on-one training on that bike. So there's a lot of different modules that we've then developed to help instructors not just stop at being a basic instructor, but to be able to move forward with that as well. We are just launching right now our correspondence course. So we have developed a video and a workbook and a manual online exam process as well. So for those people in remote areas that they can still do the training and not feel The financial burden of having to either travel to take their indoor cycling training or else to bring in an instructor, which can be very expensive to bring somebody in some locations. We're really excited about the correspondence course because it is going to open the door for a lot of people that are now teaching either on our bikes and not really know how to use it. So they don't know how to use the computer effectively. And they aren't training with power. You know, I've heard so many times people say, well, I just don't, I just don't use that power. <laughs> 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 <'Cause> they, <laughs> they know how to use gear and they know how to use speed, but they have, they have no idea what power means. And so they just don't use it. They just kind of ignore it. And I think that's so sad because that's probably one of the greatest features on this bike that allows you to do so much with your classes. The correspondence course is going to really help address some of those issues.
0: When is it available?
1: It will be available in January. Right now, we're actually at print, so it could be available next week. If, like I don't have a launch date for you, but why don't I say it will be available January 1st.
0: Oh, hooray. Well, that's exciting, and that's a big part of this podcast series is helping people to learn about brand new things that are coming up. And I recognize, yeah, the cost of travel, especially with the economic situations that are going on, and I don't think they're any different in Canada than they are here in the United States. No. Or maybe... No? And, no, they're not. <laughs> yeah, going to a conference, it's this dichotomy. People understand that taking continuing education uh, is beneficial, both as an instructor, to just help you become more informed, learn about new things, but also to reinvigorate, as I talk as in my tagline, is you know to find a spark of inspiration. And if you're, from an economic perspective, not comfortable traveling, I think this would be a really great idea.
1: It is. And it has come from most of our, either our
0: instructors
1: or people who are wishing to become instructors are coming to us and saying, listen, I live in this small community. There's not a big city that's really within reasonable driving range. And how do I make this accessible to me? So it's, it's really come from being at the trade shows and people saying, you know, how can you help me? And so we've addressed the need that has come from, from the instructors out there.
0: And you're offering continuing education credits along with this?
1: Exactly. So there will be ACE credits and AFA credits that go along with it. So people who are certified through ACE or AFA can get their continuing education credits as well with it.
0: Oh, marvelous. Because I realize ACE, if you go to their site, there's some available. I'm interested in this. Tell me how this correspondence course is going to go together. You say you're printing something, you have some videos. Can you just give me a quick understanding of each of those components?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we we have our foundations manual and we've had that for, you know, it's now two years old and we are in the process of continually updating that as we develop new and new programs and fine tune the manual. The manual we already had, though, and then we have developed a workbook to go along with it. And it's just a, a way of moving through active learning. So it's not about just reading the manual. You answer questions then to help you Deepen your understanding of the material in the manual. There is a video that goes with it, and that video has a, a class in it. So you can see the drills, you can see the way that the class is put together, and there's lots of questions that reflect back into the manual and the video to help you deepen your understanding of the components of teaching a cycling class. And then from there is the exam. So the third step would be once you finish the workbook and you're feeling comfortable with the information, then you would write the online exam. You need 85% to pass. So once you've achieved that, then out comes your certificate and your CECs. It makes it very accessible for anyone with a Computer basically, and you can be trained very quickly and at your own convenience in your own home. So, I know I've done training myself correspondent, and it's worked very well for me because I am a mum. The times that I can go to take workshops can be very limiting, even though I am in a big city where there's lots of trainings, and I do travel quite a bit so that I can go to trainings. I myself have found correspondence as being actually, an online training has been very helpful for me. At Kaiser, we recognize that we do need to
0: move forward. There's so much being done online now. How can we help our students? Is this something that you could take for your initial certification?
1: Yes, you could take it for your initial certification, and then you could also uh, take it if you were certified with another company and wanted to become a kaiser instructor and wanted to learn more about the bikes then you could take it as as well because it is the foundations module that we are doing correspondence at this time we are looking at doing our modules as well on and creating them as correspondence courses but we haven't We've got to launch this one first because this is the the meat that everybody wants
0: And for those listening, I have a future podcast planned as a New Year's resolution for you as an instructor to go out and get some new training next year. If you've been teaching the exact same class based on the information you got 10 years ago, things have changed.
1: Things have changed, yes. It's amazing how often I will meet another instructor who has trained long time ago in the old techniques and hasn't recognized that things have significantly changed over the years. And, you know, I think anybody who took their training before 2002 has really lost an opportunity to change with the new guidelines that came out in 2002. So things went through a major change back then. And if people are not current past that time, then they're teaching in a way that's not really
0: safe for their students anymore. Or current. And at the same time, you're not keeping up with the instructor that teaches the hour after you. Yes. And your class numbers may be suffering because of it. When you talk about back in 2002, what was the change? Was there a specific focus that changed?
1: The biggest thing that happened in 2002 was we actually, for the first time, got some guidelines for indoor cycling classes. And so the minimum and maximum RPMs were set and they were based on injuries that were happening in the industry. That's the most important feature that came in. There was a big shift in the cycling industry in the training programs to making sure that the drills were actually relevant to cyclists. So Kaiser, I do have to admit, was one that had some drills that and positionings that were not relevant to riding outdoors, and those all changed. So in 2002, we got rid of things like digs and slides and lean over leg and all the old drills that quickly removed ourselves from because they weren't safe, they weren't um, effective, and they weren't reflective of what is going to happen when you go outside and ride.
0: My wife was one of the original Johnny G uh, instructors here in town back in the middle 90s and there was a very large component of entertainment in the in the training a lot of cyclists said well that's nonsense i don't want anything to do with that as a cyclist i appreciate th- these new forms of training that tend to be very specific the application of power makes it measurable and makes someone like me much more comfortable i don't need somebody up there dancing i want somebody that's going to address my needs as a cyclist to try to get fitter and develop my power and my technique.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a big shift because it was group fitness instructors creating cycling programs. And now it needs to be based in cycling. It doesn't need to be based on a group fitness
0: module. It's very different now. Suzette, I thought I'd just let everybody know that you're also an author on an unrelated topic. You've written a book on yoga. Can you just tell me about that real quickly?
1: Well, my other job is I'm a yoga therapist. So I work with people using yoga and personal training to help them deal with mostly chronic pain issues or even, you know, an issue, for example, that they're going through in their life, sore hip or low back pain or something like that. I work as a yoga therapist as well as do cycling instructors, I think they, they actually balance themselves quite well out. I do a lot of work on core work, so core stability, and I have a lot of chiropractors and physiotherapists who refer a lot of students to me because the information that I do with, with stabilizing the body through core stability. So as a result I wrote a book on it. So I have a book on uh, yoga for the core and just about creating stability in your body. Now it's it's not just for yoga. It is a great book on how to find your core, how to activate your core and has been used for people who are in yoga, but also in the fitness industry as well. It's being very well received, has uh, been picked up by two different publishers. So I'm quite proud to say that it's been selling very well. So thank you for asking about
0: it, John. Oh, congratulations. And I'm going to withdraw my unrelated statement, say, yes, as a cyclist, your core is everything. And as to your position on the bike, your tolerance for long-duration rides, so much of it has to do with how you are on the bike. And so from just that brief explanation tells me that's something I should look into.
1: When I do bike setup, we talk about how you're riding and so many people ride from their low back versus riding from their hips it's amazing to see when they get that sense of stability without gripping into their abdominals and this is different than saying pull in your abdominals we don't want to pull in our abdominals when we're riding because then you can't breathe so it's how to how do you create that stability without starting to hinder your ability to actually use the diaphragm to breathe it is very relevant for cyclists especially when you're in that leaned over position so many beginners can't hold a cycling position because they don't have the core stability to hold it so it is very relevant and I think there isn't anything that I teach that doesn't incorporate some sense of, of
0: connection to your core anymore we're improving as we go forward aren't we yes we are we're learning I know that you're going to be presenting at the uh, 2009 Idea Fitness Fusion Conference in Illinois in April of next year. Are you going to be presenting anywhere sooner than that?
1: I don't have anything scheduled right now for earlier than that, which is good because we're big skiers. So (laughs) I'm looking forward to the April training, yes, in the Chicago area and the Idea Conference It's a wonderful conference, and I really enjoyed it last year when I was there, so I'm looking forward to that one.
0: Oh, good. And actually, it's on my plan to try to get down there. I found that there's a lot of value going to these conferences personally, but at the same time having the opportunity to interview people live or remotely, however you describe it. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the conferences on my list I'm trying to get to. Suzette O'Byrne? Thank you for being on the Indoor Cycle Instructor podcast today. The information that you've given me and hopefully to my listeners has been both educational, helped me to have an understanding of your Kaiser Cycling programs, and there's been some inspiration that I've gotten from this, and I'm going to try to bring specifically the whole concept of tying this class together a little tighter through A actual registration, and I'm going to experiment with that in the weeks going forward. So thank you for being on today.
1: Thank you very much, John. I enjoyed talking
0: to you as well. Thanks for listening. Hey, there are two quick things I want to let you know about. The first is my listener contest. Three listeners will win a set of BicoVision cycling DVDs to play in their class and also be part of a special episode on the Indoor Cycle Instructor podcast you can enter by completing a short survey posted at TheIndoorCycleInstructor.com. It should only take five minutes or so, and it will really help me to just continually improve this podcast. I'll be collecting responses until December 20th, and on that day I will be drawing three winners. The people at BicoVision have graciously donated three sets of three DVDs that you can play in your uh, next cycling class. Second thing, if you'd like to hear your comment or suggestion played on the air, you can call our listener comment line and leave a message for myself or Jennifer Sage. Here's the phone number. Area code nine five two three eight eight zero six six one. Or you can also leave me a message on Skype. My Skype ID is John J O H N dot MacGowan M A C. G-O-W-A-N and then one. So it's johnmacgowan one I look forward to hearing from you.